it's a real privilege to be back in Detroit and uh, hope you can understand my accent. I'm a bit messed up, but I'm an American and I'm proud to be one. So, um, But yeah, we really do just appreciate the, the invitation, the friendship, the partnership. As Nicole said, we, we spend a lot of time praying for you as a church, although we don't know all of you. Uh, we certainly believe in what God's doing with you and through you. We recognize it's other churches as well here. But there is something significant about this region, this place, this city, and God bringing people from all places and all regions and all history together for something significant. And so just for us to be able to play any role in that is a real privilege. So thank you for the invitation, for the friendships we have, and uh, the opportunity just to minister this morning is a real privilege for us. Trust you open your hearts, and like Paul's saying, it's not what we have to say, honestly. I'll tell you straight up, what I have to say is irrelevant. I wish more preachers would say that, but it's true. What I have to say is absolutely irrelevant, but what God has to say is, to be honest, it has ramifications for us, but it has for those around us, yeah. and those who have yet to be reached and touched. God has plans and strategies and purposes, and, and we can't tweak them and change them to fit into our lives. We either got to settle we're here for Him, or we're not here for Him. And uh, what I'm going to share this morning, I don't expect too many amens because it's not one of those, yeah, great message. I said to Nicole this morning, you know, I realized that my role here is not to just be a blessing. I hope you are blessed. I'm actually here to build, which means we're going to have to address some stuff that's not me addressing. It's this God we talk about, this King who has supremacy in all things. We claim it. And it's come through even in our worship singing. This is still worship that we're doing right now. But in our singing part, Jason was feeling like there's this uh, response we need. Paul got up and responded and said there's a response to declare the Lordship of Christ. But I'm going to ask you, please, if you wouldn't mind just standing for a moment. I know you all got comfortable. But uh, I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind. You don't have to do this. But if you wouldn't mind raising your hands to heaven. And it's not to me or to a man. It's to our King. But I, I, do, I do, just in light of what was sensed this morning, I was sensing that too. I, 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 the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yeah. You have a monument, a statue downtown, just at the end of the street, called the Spirit of Detroit. And it's that very quote. Now can I suggest, this is probably the, one of the most liberal cities on the planet. Yet it's the least free on the planet. Why is that? Because it doesn't mean do whatever you want. Yeah. Right. In actual fact, that's 2 Corinthians 3.17 comes out of a context where he's speaking about lordship. And I believe what the writer Paul's actually saying is where the spirit of the Lord is not there's freedom where he is, it's when he's acknowledged as Lord. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this morning, it's, we need to yield to the Spirit of the yes. Lord. Yes. We need to trust. We need to acknowledge. We need to yield. And it's in that place of surrender in the kingdom that victory comes. It's not in us striving and trying to be and trying to... You can trust Him. We can trust the Spirit. We can trust Christ. And there's a yield in this morning that I believe just needs to come in all of our hearts so He can speak into our lives this morning. So, Father, this morning our hands are raised to you, our great God, our King, our Father, who we trust. We yield to your Spirit. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where we yield and acknowledge the Spirit as Lord, we find our freedom. 
I trust this morning that all of us, including me, the preacher, would find freedom in Christ and through your Spirit in us as we yield, submit to you as Lord of all. Would you speak into our lives? Would you correct and address things that would help me and us be better followers of Jesus, but also represent people, represent you to this world around us? Where we put things on, would you take them off? Where others have put things on, would you take them off? Where we have history that has got us to be obscured on what we trust and believe today, would you remove what needs to be removed? And would you add in and add on? And even if we get offended, we don't want to take offense. We want to hear what the Spirit is saying to us as individuals. And if it's in your words, then it's truth. It's settled. And we want to live in it, even if we don't always agree with it. So would you help me and help us to be better followers and understanding of what it means to be the church, to be part of this church, to understand your mandate here on earth, and to live in it every single day, we pray. We bless you, Jesus. We honor you. We make much of you this morning. This is your glory, your fame. This belongs to you. We are your church. We are purchased with your blood. Be exalted, be glorified, and have your way amongst us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, friends. Let's take our seats. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you, please, to turn in it to um, Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah 41. Let me just say at the outset of this preach that while I want to speak about being all in, now you've got to hear, I'm not trying to kind of pull your, get you with your flesh involved here. There's no flesh in this. This is kingdom and understanding. But we do need to be all in. How many of you know it's very hard to be half in and half out? I mean, I'm one of those, I know we're not supposed to play poker. I don't play poker. But if you do play poker, then you just don't want to play with me because I'm all in. All right, I don't know how to hold on to my cards and I'm just, I'm all in. Trust me, check me. I might not have all the cards or whatever, but I'm all in because I'm just that kind of a guy. And I'm not saying that's a good thing in all things, but it is when it comes to kingdom stuff. And you've got to hear this this morning, that it's not about, as my wife wonderfully pointed out, it's not about this couple, and with all due respect, it's not even about this church. And may I even go further on and say, it's not even about this city or this nation or the nations. If it's about any of that stuff, you're going to disagree and maybe reject what I'm saying this morning. But I, I want to say from the scriptures, it's actually about Him and what He wants. So the stuff we are all in about is actually about Him and His plans and His purposes. But there's structures through that that we understand how to be more involved. All right. So I want to talk about the power of being planted. I want to talk about what it means to be all in from scripture. Not what your history, not what your denomination has taught you or the church before. Or I've got some great ideas, but they're irrelevant. I mean, if I can be bold enough to say, I'd like to have a help God put this in the scripture, because I've got some really good ideas on how I think things should go. But God is God, and He knows exactly what. So what I'd like to do is just outlay some practical, practical things. So we don't guess are we part of. We understand what God is asking of us. And friends, let me just also say at the outset that you can disagree and not do this. That's fine. You don't have to not be a part of this church. You're just not going to be planted and strengthened and grow in what God has for you. There is power in being planted. 
It's God's way. I mean, you take a tree and you keep picking it up and moving it and put it somewhere else. You try to do that and see how well it grows. It doesn't. It needs to be planted somewhere. It needs to be established somewhere. And it's still God's way in it. So it's not serving man, it's serving God. And so when I talk about the church, which I'd like to do in a moment, I need to tell you first that the church is not the center of God's plan. Jesus is the center of God's plan. And sometimes the church gets so focused on her and how beautiful she is that we're so in love with ourselves right now, we forget there's one coming for us who we should be readying ourselves for his return. But we hear about how beautiful we are and how awesome we are. We're looking in the mirror and you are beautiful and you are awesome. And he did purchase us with his blood and he does care and he does love us. But ultimately our job is to ready ourselves so he can come back for us. That's what this is about. So don't be so in love with yourself as the church. That you forget we're actually supposed to be preparing our, the bride for the return of Jesus. So in that, I want to say that we are not the center of God's plan. <laughs> Even if you find that hard to believe, it's not in the Bible. It might be in American Christianity, but it's not in the Bible. Alright? We are not the center of God's plan. Jesus is the center of God's plan. Everything revolves around Jesus. In actual fact, I think that is the very core dysfunction of religion. You know what it is? Focusing on us rather than focusing on Him. That's the core dysfunction of all religion. Looking around at man, making it about us. The moment we make it about anything other than Christ, we become religious. And so our heart existence is about Christ. Colossians chapter 1, I was reading it this morning in my prayer time, and, and just in verse 17, let me just, I don't, let me stick where you're reading, we're getting there now. It says in verse 17, He, speaking of Jesus, is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, all things, He may have supremacy. He may be first in all things. Great truth, great text, great declaration. I wonder how true that is in our lives this morning. Is He first in your life? Oh yeah, on Sundays, absolutely. When we sing songs, why not? But everyday living, He has been given first place in everything. Do you see how it revolves around Jesus? He's our master. Friends, He is our master. Not just our Savior, He's our master. And we need that revelation again and again. There is a Lord, there is a King, and I'm saved by declaring His Lordship and coming under His rule and reign. Right? He's our master. He's the head of the church. We've just read that through Scripture. Can I say, a body without a head is a corpse. So while we're going to talk about the body this morning, if we don't have the head in place, we're a dead corpse. There's no life. Reason why we're so much death in the church is not because the Spirit's not there. We haven't found our head. We're trying to be in control rather than put the head back in its place, being Jesus Christ. Our message is Christ. It all revolves around Him. This message is not the church or some mission or mandate. Christ is our message. Do you know the whole of the Old Testament... Is all about the anticipation of Jesus. He is coming. Then the New Testament comes and the gospel is all about He has come. He is here. The, 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 the epistles are all about He is Lord. 
And then this great, great text at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation is, He's coming again. The whole Bible, in some way, always fits around this great theme of Jesus Christ. So if we're Bible-based, if we believe Scripture, then our message is Christ and only Christ. Not all this add-on and tag-on that the church seems to be embracing. Jesus is our mission. And I know that's in your hearts here this morning. I know this church has been birthed in mission, but I want to say mission isn't just always about going somewhere. I believe it's actually more about following someone. Our mission is to follow Christ. That's the mandate He gave us when He left this earth. He got His disciples together and He said, All authority in heaven has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. The mission is follow Christ and go make followers of Christ. And so while we go to places, don't forget our mission is to follow Jesus as individuals and as local churches. When He says it, we do it. When He calls us to it, it's not this random kind of roadmap through Scripture, pick and choose. It's as we walk with Jesus, He reveals to us the next step in this amazing journey of what we're being called to. Our mission is Christ. Our motivation is Jesus. I do believe that Jesus is the only revelation that will motivate every generation, from the youngest in this room to the oldest. All generations are motivated by the love and passion for Jesus, and it gets us to live beyond ourselves. It can't be because the preachers say, the Bible says, it's our revelation of Christ. says, I'm existing for something bigger than myself. I'm willing to go anywhere and do anything because of my passion for Jesus and because of my revelation. I can't catch that from you. I've got to get that from the Spirit for myself. I've just had a friend recently relocate again, older man and his wife. I mean, they're ready for retirement. I know they don't retire in the kingdom, but these guys are ready for retirement. But they have relocated to another city and another country into an island in Tasmania, Australia to plant another church. Leaving all their family again. They moved with us to plant from Australia. I'm like, why are you doing this? I mean, I I get that you're doing it, but why? Because of the revelation of Jesus. It can't be a settling revelation. It's a motivating all age, all cultures, all people. Friends, we need that revelation in this room because this city you've been called to reach, this nation we've been called to reach, it's getting uglier and it's getting worse. And it's not going to be a good church with a good theology. It's going to be a church obsessed with Jesus who have their own revelation, who are able to live beyond themselves and say, whatever the cost, it's worthwhile because my revelation of Him is what motivates me, not some mandate from the pulpit. Are you there? He's our motivation. I believe knowing Christ is the greatest privilege of our lives. I believe following Him is our greatest pursuit. Please pursue Jesus and nothing else. And glorifying Him is our greatest passion. It's got to be what we're about. So having said that, I've settled and I hope you understand that Jesus is the center of God's plan. But saying that, according to Scripture, then the church is central to God's plan. Are you with me? Jesus is the center of God's plan, but the church is central to God's plan. In other words, you can't do the Jesus thing without being part of the church thing. And the church thing has got a bad rap because we've got bad people putting bad things in place. But I want to tell you, the church, you can't find one scripture in the Bible that can back headship, lordship, part of Jesus, love Jesus, but have nothing to do with His body. Because we are His body. Are you there? So I'm not talking about organized religion. I'm not talking about the stuff we call church. I'm talking about the church that Jesus is building. And I want to speak this morning on how to be all in. What does God require? How do we be planted? 
into the foundation? How do we stay planted? How do we understand the need to be planted? Not just attending some meetings from time to time, but actually being planted in the house of God, being planted in His body, being His body, understanding the Lordship, Headship, but also our mandate here. It is so wonderful to know this. And can I say, I, I, I remember speaking around these things, because we got really irritated planting churches. Let me just tell you, because people are awesome, but they hurt you, they leave, they don't show up, and then you're like, what is wrong with them then? And a lot of people think it's because it's our thing, and we'll help you when we finished helping, we'll go and help someone else. Not our thing. If it was our thing, let's all stop, because our thing doesn't work. This is his thing. And actually, he puts us all together for his thing, not for our thing, to help us do our thing. So the thing I'm saying is not their thing, and you help them, and when you finish helping them, they'll help out. No, no, we in this together if God put us here. Until God says move on, but actually they're going to move on one day too. So actually they are not here for life. God's got them moving in and moving on. That's the way God works. So this church stuff is... is it, we, so I remember preaching, I'm like, very frustrated. I said to that elder, I was like, guys, what's the problem here? Culture here, and the culture doesn't believe this, and I get culture. I mean, we are clashing at every level in our culture. Just look around, you are not culturally the same, all right? <laughs> There's a clash right here by sitting in this room, just so you know. So if we're going to be culturally relevant, we've got no chance of being what God's called us. So we've got to actually get to what the Bible says. Because we have to agree on something. And the thing we have to say, well, let's go to the source. Let's go to the giver of life and what he says about it. And all our cultures can filter through what he says and fit into that. Then we're all trying to fit in each other's thoughts. Is that, is that all right? So I remember preaching on this. I had a man who was 80 years old. 80. That's pretty old. <laughs> and, and this guy, after the meeting, I'm always nervous when older people come in. I was much younger then too. Come over to you and when they say, young man, I want to have a chat. I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. What have I done? This man said to me, I've been a believer for like 70 years. I've never heard this in my life. Thank you for helping me understand what it actually means. Being in a church for 70 years has never heard what it means to actually be planted from the scripture of how to thrive and how to be all in and what God requires. We can find where we want to be in that place. But at least we know what we should be doing if we want to stay planted and effective in the time of the season. So Isaiah chapter 41, quickly. In verse 17. I love these texts. I love this scripture. It comes alive in me. Look at what he says here. Says the poor and the needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst. But I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. So can I stop for a moment and say, you know all those hard people that you think are not interested, or your family members, or your friends, or the people you work with, or, or the people in our city or in the nation that are just seem absolutely impossible. They're not interested. Well, God's just told us that people are seeking. People are needy, people are thirsty, they're looking. Isn't that awesome? It's going to give us courage in our mandate here as this church. That none of this is wasted. God sees that people, and God's saying, they're thirsty, they're needy, and they're looking. So that's great news. But then look at what God says after that. I will, uh, he says that, but, and I, the Lord, will answer them. Don't you love that? God doesn't say, hey, go be the solution. God says, I'm your solution. People are seeking, and guess what? I'm going to reach out and find them. You here because he found you. You didn't find him. He was never lost. I didn't find Jesus. He found me. I was lost. He was never lost. 
These people, he found finding them. And so for when I look at Detroit and I walk around your streets and I'm going to tell you, it's a beautiful city, but you've got some challenges. And I believe people are searching, looking and seeking. And God says, I'm reaching out and responding to them. Did that give you courage this morning? Verse 18, he says, And I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys, and I'll turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. Let me stop and say, God's saying where there's nothing, I'm creating something. Where there is nothing, I'll create something. Where they're in the desert, there's nothing, I'm creating water and streams and rivers. I'm taking from death and I'm making it alive. You all are here, but I hope you understand the divine plan of God. But God's taken nothing and creating something. Yeah. Out of nothing, Border City Church has been birthed. I mean, yeah. I, with all due respect, great couple responding to God, but He took nothing. He's taken nothing here yeah. and He's creating something. Yeah. Broken and burnt stones, wrecked, messed up. Britain chewed up by church systems and structures and all the nonsense that comes with being church. And he puts you all together and he goes, I'm blowing wind. I'm taking this nothing and I'm creating something. And yes, there are other churches, of course. When I talk about the church, I'm talking about the church. But I'm speaking to us in this room this morning. He says, Border City Church, people are searching. I'm creating something. And it's not history tells us what we should be. It's what God says. It's divine. And if it's not divine, it's flesh. And we need no more flesh in our great city. So my point being is stop making it flesh and putting our hands all over it and determining what it should be and allow God to do something that is divine. You know, if this began by God, and I know how this church plant was planted. It was not a couple who got decided to be tired of being in South Africa, let's go back. They didn't want to come originally to America. I was, you need to get back to America. <laughs> but finally God spoke. It wasn't Detroit. For me. Anyway, long story. The point is, they weren't looking to get back in. When I met them, I was like, we need more of you back in America. Because I was in America. They're like, no, no, we don't want to go. We're happy in Africa. No, 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 no. Took him 10 years or whatever, but finally they heard the voice. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I didn't come out to try something. You didn't leave what you've left or just end up here. I hope you believe that. I hope today you understand there's something yeah. bigger than you, and, and we need to play the bigger card right now. Yeah. Get over some of the stuff we face and we don't like about each other, because this is not about each other. This is about a divine thing that we can mess up if we get in the way. Yeah. I'm taking where there's nothing. So now if this began with God, let me tell you, it's going to always be bigger than you. If it's going to be bigger than you, then you never have enough. You're going to always feel pressure, significant pressure, when you're doing what God's called you to do. Because it's not can we do it, it's did God say. Which is a big difference. A lot of leaders need churches are, can we afford it? And can we do this? And do we have the manpower? Do we have the people? No, you don't. So what you have to have to establish is, did God say it? If he did, well, then you can do it. If he didn't, even if you've got the manpower and the money, you can't do it. Yeah. Right. I wish we'd see that in the church. We think the budgets determine the will of God. No, God determines the will of God. Yeah. But in doing that, it means we're always living beyond what we can come up with. Yeah. 
But don't forget the divine nature of the sea. It's either God or it's us. If it's us, we don't need another church. If it's God, then we need to trust God and walk beyond what we can come up with. So the pressure is on because we can't do it without it. You as a church are going to be consistently under pressure to be attempt to copy the success of the church world at the expense of what God's called you to do. We celebrate what God's doing in the other congregations, but we don't buy into that at the expense of being authentic to what God's called us to. If it's God, stick to God and let it be authentic and real what God's doing. You okay? There's a God factor. This is divine. Take nothing and I'll create something. Verse 19, he says, And I'll put in the desert the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. And I'll set junipers in the wasteland and the fir and the cypress together so that people may see and know and may consider and understand the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created. Pausing again. Let's keep walking the elephants out of the room. You ready? There is nothing natural about what we're doing here this morning. It's not natural for different cultures, different ages, to sit in this weird room, (laughs) listening to some American with a funny accent. (laughs) I'm just trying to tell you, there's nothing natural about it. So what does that mean? Well, I don't understand this text fully, but I know that junipers, uh, 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 let me get these things right, cedar, acacia, myrtle, olive, and junipers, and cypress, and fir. Let me tell you, they don't all belong in the desert. And they don't all belong together. I'm not a green thumb, but I know that. (laughs) So why is that important? He says, where there's nothing. This is what he's saying. People are hungry and thirsty. I'm reaching out and responding. I'm taking where there's nothing. I'm creating something. Then, by the way, I'm going to take what doesn't belong together. And I'm going to take what doesn't fit. And I'm going to make it fit and belong. Now, this is vital because some of us are still making a decision. Do I fit here? Now, I understand the question. It's the American question for the consumerism of church. I'm not sure I fit. I'm not sure my family fit. I'm not sure we celebrate. And they're good questions. But do you determine the future of your family based on the happiness of your family on hearing what God's called you to do? How many would buy a house? Now I'm getting in really trouble, real trouble. <laughs> Anyone worth your soul? Please hear me. I'm sorry to say, I've got three teenage sons. I know what it's like to have children, and I want them to be happy. But how many of us would, worth our salt, buy a house, an investment based on the happiness of our three-year-old kid? You laugh, because it's insane. You know what the best decision is, and you're going to make that decision, and your children will learn to love that decision, because you're looking long-term as an investment of what's best for our family. But many people will determine the happiness of their children based on where they should fellowship and serve in the plan and the purpose of God, which I'd like to say is far more essential than buying a house. It is. I'm not selling this church to you because if you don't belong here, you better find where you do. But I am saying this. Of course there are churches with better children's programs, better music, not better than Jason, sorry, Jason. <laughs> better facilities. Better. I mean, friends, and, there's, and again, that's not wrong. It doesn't matter. But if that's what you're looking for, you're missing where God's put you. There's a divine element to this. And all those churches that have all those great ministries, you know they started with nothing. They started like this. 
And that's okay if God has moved you there, but don't let those be the deciding factors. Settle the divine nature. Where has God called you? Where you are called as a family, if you have a family, a husband and wife, you will thrive where God puts you. You fit because He makes you fit, even though you don't fit. And it's not natural you belong together like this. And I tell you, I'm too privileged to preach in different churches just about every weekend in different countries, different cities. And the biggest challenge right now in the church, I think, is we've lost the divine nature of the church. It's about me and what my wants and my needs and my family. And when you lose the divine nature, you end up messing up the whole thing because it's about consumerism, me, me, me. What's in it for me rather than I'm here to serve a king and get this job done so this king can come back. I told you, not too many amens. I got no, you know that I have no dog in this fight. Do you realize that? I get on a plane this afternoon, I go home to Denver, Colorado. That's my home. I obviously want to see this couple succeed, but I want this church to thrive. And I want to see this city transformed for Jesus. So I don't have any axe to grind here except, guys, it's either in the Bible or it's not. It doesn't matter if you like this couple, and they're not a hard couple to like. I want to tell you, they're the worst pastors out there. And I'm one of them. It's one of them. I'm no longer a pastor. But, but honestly, I, it's not about, well, I like them. I mean, I hope you learn to like them. But he doesn't say, hey, where you like people, that's where you're going to belong. Or, or, or I like each other. No, you don't have to. Do you know that some of these tree shrubs and bushes, they are like cacti. They, they, they thorn bushes. I don't know why we need them, but apparently we do. Right? He puts thorn bushes with cedar and sweet-smelling bushes and a cacti. And he puts them all together. Some of you are the thorn bushes. And you irritate people. And you, but honestly, if you forget the divine nature, the irritation gets you to leave the church. Mm. I'm out. I don't fit. Can't do church with them. You're not doing church. You are the church where he puts you. There's the divine nature. Settle that. Because you'll never be happy even if you think you're happy. Your family's happy in some way. They decide where they're happy rather than where God's put you. I wish I could. We've settled this. We want to be where God's called us to be, not where I want to be. Because if I want to be, I want to be in Australia right now, where my other family is, being with my parents. But God has put us in a church that I planted, now I don't leave. Irritated. Yes, I've got some other dude leading the church we birthed. <laughs> Doing it with a good heart, but very different to us. I'm irritated half the time I'm there. That's why I'm always on the road. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I'm just trying to say, it's where's God put us, not where do I fit? I want to say you don't fit here. But if God puts you here, you fit because He makes you fit. It's not natural. If you settle that, I reckon we can get through a whole lot of the stuff of I don't like and I'm a, and we work it out because it's bigger than us. Because it goes on and says that people may see, consider, and understand it's the hand of the Lord that's done this. In other words, God's done this. God wants these guys out there to see God's done this. You're the work of God. The divine working of God. You belong because God makes you belong. And you fit as long as God's made you fit. And if God moves you on, then you move on. But you don't move on because you're mad, uncelebrated, don't feel welcome, don't like this stuff. Work on that stuff when you've settled. God put us here. When you make decisions based on what God says, your family life will thrive. If you make decisions based on your family life, your walk with God will never work out. Your marriage will be jacked up with all due respect. Your kids will be off the rails. And if you have a messed up marriage, God loves you and you still belong here. Are you with me? I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just thinking, 
Make some godly decisions. Not for this couple, not for this church, not for this nation. For the display of the Lord's splendor and to serve the purposes of God in every season of our lives. Whether they're great seasons or just seasons, they're God's seasons. Cannot be connected to Jesus and be separated from His body. There is no scripture that can back that. Can I say every priest needs a hood? Every sheep, if you don't like that one, I'll stick to the Bible one. Every sheep needs a pen. Every brick needs a wall. Some of you Pink Floyd fans. Every tree needs to be planted. You cannot be connected to God and separated from His body. When you read the Bible, the early church, they were, I believe, a power of, they were planted in a transforming community. They, they were a family on, in relationship. They, they were friends in fellowship. But they were also followers of Jesus in partnership. Those are the pictures we need. Family in relationship. Friends in fellowship. But we are followers of Christ in a partnership. We're carrying something beyond just hanging out. We're here for the mandate and purposes of something far bigger than ourselves. The church needs that revelation. So quickly, as I try and give some practicals, don't worry, I have an airplane to catch, so you're okay. What does it mean to be planted? So I'm going to just give you the headlines and a couple of points, and I hope you'll go read the scriptures. Don't let me convince you or Paul or where you've come from. Go read the Bible. Yeah. That's the source. Yeah. Yeah. Not, I was never taught this. Ah, oh, we were taught something different. doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? Amen. That's right. I was taught something different too. What does the Bible say? That's right. I believe just there are five key things to have being planted. Number one is you've got to come in through the gates, through governance. Now people, are, yeah, we have to start there. Oh, I don't want to submit to anyone. Well, then you're going to have a problem being part of the body of Christ because we already talked about submitting to Him as Lord and His way is leadership, friends. I, I know, without a shadow of a doubt, that every one of us in this room have had bad experience with church leadership. Well, let me be bold. How many of you have not been hurt by the church or leadership? Put your hand. Okay, so we're, we're equals here. I have been hurt big time by the church. And I'm a leader in the church. So I know that there's a fear. Whenever you hear the word of submission or governance or coming under or coming through, it's like, oh, I can't do that. It's me and Jesus. And it sounds so great, but it's not in the Bible. Somehow we have to come into that place of trusting God again and trusting the leadership. Even if we don't like them or we didn't choose them, He chose them, we have to trust. Are you with me? You are not going to be able to be planted in this church if you don't recognize you've got to come in through the gates. You can attend this church every Sunday at this meeting. You can do that by all means. And I don't believe anyone's asking you not to. But that does not mean you're planted in this. That also doesn't mean that this couple is accountable for you. Because I want to give them freedom this morning. They're not accountable for you as elders. For you actually coming through the gates. So the fact you show up here is awesome. But they don't understand before God because of you. Because you're here. Until you're actually coming through the gates. Elders are the gates, the Bible says. The gates. You know that means you're coming through them and you leave through that's just take off. It's amazing how many people just take it off. I'm church hopping here. And I'm friends, I understand you're going to find where you belong. But we just established you belong where He puts you, not where you feel happy. 
Huh? And then you don't come in and you sign covenant like Old Testament, this covenant, I mean all this nonsense, bank accounts and all the details. No. It's a pure decision based on, hey Paul Edmunda, we feel God's put us here for this season. That's it. Not for life, not signing. But this is our season. We believe we want to come in through the gates. And the day we feel like God's called us to go, we're going to come tell you. We're not going to tell him to tell him to tell him I've left. Imagine that happening in a family and honoring of a partnership in the kingdom. Not for their eternity, for yours. If you come in well and you leave well, God can bless you well. There's so many broken relationships, jumping fences and leaving and tell them to tell him and sitting half the sheep and nonsense. It's breaking down the kingdom rather than building up strong, healthy churches who understand Godhead, Godship and Lordship and also submission to leaders. You okay? Coming through the gates, covenants. You know, Philippians 1 verse 1 says, to the elders and deacons, and to the deacons, elders, saints, and sinners. I believe that Paul writes the four things that make up a local church. Deacons, elders, saints, and sinners. And hopefully the deacons and elders are not the sinners. But that's what he, when he writes to the church in Philippi, he's writing to deacons, elders, and saints. So theologically, I believe biblically, a church is made up of deacons, elders, saints, and sinners. We're hoping sinners are here getting saved, right? Yeah. But that's the biblical pattern here. And so we have to acknowledge leadership. Not bow to, not honor like we have this worshiping status in our great nation. We worship status. It's not that at all. We are to honor our leaders, but we worship Christ. Exalt Jesus. No one else. Yes. But in our fear of exalting or honoring leaders, we dishonor. Right. And will not walk with and will not submit and I'm just telling you, friend, honestly, God's ways, you've got to come in through the gates, not submit and bow, come through the gates. In Hebrews 13, it says, actually, be, uh, submit to your leaders, as they will give an account for you, and it says, because it will be good for you, and go well with you. In other words, it's actually for your own good to submit, not for theirs, for yours, so that it actually be easier to do this. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, friends, we're not bowing, we're not day Jesus and they replace Jesus. None of that. But I do do, if you're just going to be a distant attender, that's fine. Please hear me. Now, I'm not a leader of this church, but I'm sure they would say that's fine too. Because we can't force anyone to do anything. But you're not going to grow if you're not planted. You're just going to come and be blessed and offended and end up finding another church. Which is okay if that's what you want. But that's not what God wants. And that's not what the city needs. Governance. Believe God's joined you to this church. If you could settle, you believe that. There's no more convincing each other. The, the, the discussion's not, are you convinced? Or, I really would like you to be here. Please be here. It's like, I believe God's put me here. So what can we do to get the job done? So much easier when you're convinced. Rather than we're trying to convince each other all the time. Somebody said, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. I don't want to just be fast. I want to go far and last. Then God says, you've got to do it together. It's harder. It's way harder together. Just look around. But that's God's plan. It's God's way. So believe God's joined you to this church for this season. Back the vision and values. Don't just show up and attend and disagree. Back it. If it's in Scripture, and if it's not biblical, ask these guys, where do you see that in the Bible? Don't challenge them because your heart's wrong. Challenge them because you want to see the Bible says so you can back it. Not because man's saying, because God's saying. Back the vision and the values. Don't try and make this church the church you left. 
Don't try and make this church in reaction to the church you left. Because most churches are planted in reaction to the church they were part of. We're not going to be that. So we're starting churches and all what we're not. People don't need to know what we're not believing. They need to know what we do believe. There's too much fighting in the church and in our culture with the politicians and elections. There's so much anti because we say what we're against. The church needs to stand for something. Jesus didn't walk around in the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He didn't walk around. I'm anti you and I'm anti him and I hate this and God hates gays and God hates this and God hates that. I hate you, I hate you. No, Jesus said, I stand for this. Yeah. And when he stood for things, people came running to him. Yeah. Yeah. And when he stand for, they know what you're against. But let's stand for some stuff in this season. Yeah. Belong, submit to the leadership. Leadership in the kingdom is not control. And that's where most of us have got hurt, is leaders are trying to control us. It's influence, not control. Leaders, follow me as I follow Christ. Let me influence you by influencing, who I, by being influenced who I'm following Jesus. It's not control, friends. It's influence. The moment it becomes control, it's ungodly. But it's, you've got to have influence of people and so on. All right, you're with me. It's a whole... I still think the greatest leaders. Anyway, let's move on. Secondly, gatherings. So number one is, is, is gates and governance. Secondly, how do you be planted is the gatherings, the meetings. Now I'm speaking to the converted because you're here this morning. But let me just tell you, there's a purpose to this gathering, I hope. And if we don't see the purpose, I think Americans, I'm learning more and more, need to know why. And it's not because they're rebellious. They just need to know why. What's the plan? What's the purpose? The fact we have a meeting doesn't mean that people are going to come. They need to know what the meeting's about. Why do we do this? Right? So, so gatherings, public gatherings. I believe the purpose of these public gatherings is to engage, number one, engage with other believers and also, more importantly, engage with God together. Yes, you can hang home and have your time with God. But there are times in Scripture where the church comes together to engage each other and engaging each other together, engaging God. There's power in this this. this, this a, a, a corporate dynamic of faith and, and action and worshiping and engaging. So it's, you can't do this thing over social media and Facebook. God wants us to connect to each other and connect with other people and connecting to Him. So it's to engage, to worship and to be encouraged and inspired. We've got to come together to be encouraged and inspired. We're all out there doing what God's called us to do. And when we come to our meetings like this, we need to be encouraged, challenged by, by the preaching and by the songs and that, but encouraged and inspired by others in what God's doing. To be enlarged, to grow up. Yeah, God has a goal for us. You know what it is? Maturity. That's why the ministry and the preaching, God puts us in these times together to help us grow up. That's why we don't get too many amens. How many of you, like, when you tell your children you need to grow up, they say, thank you, Dad, that's very great to hear. <laughs> no, they don't want to hear that, but we know the goal for them is to get them to grow up. We see that. Our Father in Heaven has one goal for every individual in this room. Grow up so my son can come get you. So part of these meetings is that we grow up, mature, become more like Jesus. And then also to equip us. These meetings are not to be the meeting. This is the church. We are the church. But these gatherings are equipping us to be far more effective as the church in the marketplace and every day. When we walk out of those doors, we are the church as much as we are right here. Yeah, and so part of these meetings is to help equip us to go be better followers of Jesus out there in the, w the world as the church. Are you there? Yes. 
Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another towards the love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So can I say there's this text that everybody quotes, you know, Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in your name, there I am with you. It's great. So I could just hang home on Sundays or whatever and have coffee and in my pajamas. My wife and I can hang out. We're having church because we are the church and two or three are gathered there. Isn't that such a great text? Man, what am I doing here? I should be back in Denver. And I wouldn't mind a bit of alone time with all due respect with my wife in our pajamas. Sounds brilliant when Jesus is there. But that's how people take this text so out of context. You know, you can make any text sound whatever you want it to say. The context of Matthew 18. You ready? If your brother sins against you, go to your brother and work out your issues. In other words, it's about agreement, not hanging out together. What God is saying is, Jesus is saying, I am with you when you're in agreement. Where two or three are in agreement, not getting together, agreeing, I'm with you. So that just puts that out the window. We don't really need to be together because we two or three are gathered. God's there. Yes, He's there. But the point of that context is not don't do the church thing. It's better agree on stuff if you want the approval of God. Mm-hmm. You there? Yes. So we connect like this and you don't miss it. And friends, you're not by law having to be here, but you understand the need to be here. Not for their ministry and their church and for the church. Because God put you together to be equipped and enlarged and strengthened. And if He can't get you, you let people know, hey, by the way, I'm not able to get there. Not why you have to do it. They're not your parents. But it's just, if this is your home, I'm not going to get there Sundays rather than worrying about it. It's just, it's just understanding. Does that make sense? Right. Text, can't get there Sunday. Not, oh, where are you going to be? Why not? And then we are, oh, it's on your business. And no, no, it is. We're in this together. It's not their thing. It's us doing it together. If they're not going to be here next week, they'll let you know. <laughs> well, they're the leaders. No, no, we're in this together. Yes. All right, I hope you've seen the freedom in this. So, our main meetings. Secondly, our connect groups. Connect groups, our home groups, whatever you call them. Do you have them? Yeah, Community groups. Community groups. Don't, I, I don't know, if you do this, please don't. Small groups. I don't know why people call them small groups. If you do have, sorry. Community uh, groups. Community groups. Connect groups. I don't want to be a part of a small group. It just freaks me out. What's small? Who says it's small? Right. Uh, I mean, I know people, oh, I don't want to be a mega thing. Well, small. I don't want to go to a small group. It freaks me out. I don't want to go to a small group. That's scary. That, I want something big. Like, just at least say it's big. <laughs> but it's in the Bible. It says in Acts chapter 2, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Yeah. Oh, give me the word and worship, Tyrant. But this fellowship stuff? Yeah, they were as devoted to fellowship yes. as they were to word and work. Oh, we don't have the days like them. They met every day. You can't meet every day in the world we're living in. But when we have these times in our houses, it's relationship, it's friendship, it's strengthening, it's encouraging. These are gatherings not to keep church busy, to get us to grow and become more mature and better followers of Jesus. So we don't have ministries to have so you don't go to other churches. It's to equip us to be better followers of Jesus, to release leadership and to get us back in homes and to do life together. And prayer, there's a third meeting in Scripture called prayer. It is there. I know it's not kind of very popular in America because we're real busy. When I've moved back to this nation to plant, my pastor friends in America said, Tyre in Australia, because we used to get hundreds of people show up to our prayer meetings, our church prayer meeting. Three, four, five hundred people came to our prayer meeting every Wednesday. So I came back here and I'm like, okay, we're going to, they like, prayer meetings work in Australia, but not here. Well, look at our nation here. 
because we believed a lie. We're too busy to pray. So we said, look, just pray at home or pray in your connect groups. Look, I understand we've got to be creative with our busy worlds. But there is a biblical backing from, uh, from Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. People said, show me in the Bible uh, the a corporate prayer meeting and I'll pray. I'll, all right. Acts chapter 1. They prayed together. Mothers too. Met women. Wasn't just the apostles hanging out together. And you know, people say, well, prayer meetings don't work because we're basing the turnout on the, the, the fruit. We're allowing the sheep to determine what the Bible says. Because you don't come means we're not going to have one. No, no. The power of prayer. We look at the apostles in the book of Acts and what they walked in and go, wow. Do you know there was a direct correlation to their prayer? The church was praying and the apostles were walking in power. There's no power today. And we say we don't need prayer meetings because no one shows up when we have them. It's not about who shows up. It's about us taking ownership of the God factor, the divine factor, and praying for our city, praying for our region. Praying for the nation, praying for our presidents, praying for our governors, praying for redemption, praying for the churches, praying for the regions and everything else that God has intended. The thing is, it's costly because we're not just praying for your marriage and your future. We're praying for bigger than us. So what do you get out of it? Nothing except the blessing of carrying the presence of God and the heart of God to get beyond ourselves. Are you there, friends? I love the fact that they're connected together to pray. We need to have prayer meetings. You need to pray. You need to be strategic on how you do that. But guys, when you call for a prayer meeting, it's not because it may keep you busy. Or yes, you can pray at home in your closet. This is a corporate gathering of praying. Early church, pray together. Peter and John were locked up, Acts chapter 12. They were locked up in prison. But the church was earnestly praying. And I see the story, what happens is Peter and John get, get out of prison and they knock on the door. You remember the story? Knock on the door and Rhoda, the little maidservant, runs over while these, I picture these guys having this huge prayer meeting with veins popping and rah, 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 you know. And Rhoda opens the door and she comes back and she says, Peter and John at the door. And they're like, oh, don't be an idiot. It can't be. Why? It must be his angel. They're in prison. I read that and say, that you don't even have to have faith to pray. Just show up and God does stuff. Because the stuff they were praying for happened and they couldn't believe it happened. Power when we come in corporate prayer and pray. This church has been called to pray. Lack of prayer, lack of power. It's become the ugly stepchild in the church today. We need to bring it back. It's in the Bible. Those are the three gatherings we see in the Bible. Meeting together and house to house and praying. Good. That's the gatherings. Commit to those things. If you can't get there, don't by law understand why. Right. And let's work it out better. Thirdly, I'm nearly finished. You guys are really great. You have amen. I'm impressed. But you won't this one. Number three. To be connected means, or, or to be planted means to be giving and serving. Yeah. Quiet. Listen, God doesn't need our money. You realize that, right? God needs nothing. He doesn't even need our praise. We talk about God needs us to praise Him. God needs absolutely nothing. God doesn't need us to praise Him. God needs us to need to praise Him because us praising Him gets us to see where He's at. Giving? God needs your money. Really? That money? You think? Yeah, okay. I mean, God needs my money. Seriously. The church needs my money. No. God wants me to understand that what I have belongs to me. And so we all, yeah, yeah, he knows it, does he? Yeah. How? Well, I tell him that. Well, he wants you to show him that. How? I get it. 
Ah, here we go. I don't know if I could trust this leadership. Now let's just get back to it. God put you here. Then you just, your job is to invest and trust. Yeah. There you're going to stand before God for every cent, every dime. They're going to stand before God and give an account. What they do with the dimes, you get. But you're going to stand before God and give an account for every dime you didn't do. Oh, that's harsh. Come on, I'm not blaming it, no. Your job is to make sure you give it where God puts you and the rest is up to them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, God can provide. Yeah, he's got a pattern. I've often said, God, just blow the pattern out of the water because no one likes your pattern. I don't like talking to them. So just let the money fall out of the sky. And then we're all happy. He's like, yeah, I'm sure you're happy, Tom. But actually, I've got a pattern. Those people you need, I've given them the ability to make wealth. I want them to show me that I, they know it's me. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to tell them how to do that. It's so to give to the church. Yeah. That's by giving to God. I know, Americans are the most generous people on the planet. When it comes to the church, we're not. And the reason being is because we're nervous of we can't trust. We've been abused. We've been hurt. We can't trust. They drive a nice car. Who cares what they drive? What do you drive? What has God trusted you with? Are you being trustworthy with it? Are you with me? So this costs money, believe it or not. I mean, it's not like this great place with something like that. Coffee, this stuff costs. So who's paying for it? <laughs> yeah, we need millions, billions, trillions. God can provide, but he has given us a pattern on how to us. See, we can fight him, tithing. I mean, I don't want to get to the whole tithing, but let me tell you, if you're fighting over tithing, you, you've got, you, you, we need to shift. Honestly, please. Tithers tell testimonies, non-tithers argue about the law. Let me just tell you, it's beyond the Lord, it's pre-Lord. There's nothing to do with Lord. So we've got to get that freedom again. So giving. Giving. One of the defining marks of a follower of Jesus is generosity. Giving in our time, guys. Not to serve the church, to serve as the church to the people out there. We've got to give our time. If God's put you here, knitted you to this church with these people, we don't give time to the church. We give our time for the king and his kingdom as the church. You with me? Treasures, which is finances. And the whole areas of giving, I'd love to preach on, I can't this morning. But it's in there. Let the Lord convince you. There is um, um, and talents. You know, this is an incredibly gifted people. I mean, I listen to some of the stories these guys are telling us. Man, this is a gifted people. But you haven't got to be given a gift so you can be a gifted person. You haven't even been given a gift ability to make wealth so you can be rich. It's good to fill your pockets. God is happy with that. But it's beyond that. He actually gave you the ability to do what you do to serve His plan and purpose. Yeah. Some of you are really good mothers and really good this and that. I mean, just take those gifts. Say, I belong to Christ. I'm purchased with His blood. And I'm part of this group who needs my gifts. I'm willing to use them for His glory even amongst my friends here so we can have a greater impact around me. Bring your gift. Serving. Not just giving, but serving is the goal. Not just to set up and tear down. Those are important things. But serving Christ with your gifts. This church needs those gifts. And God's put you here. If He put you here, your gifts are needed. Our time, our talents, our treasures, tithing and all the money that goes with that. You're there. All right. Off. Yeah, okay. That's too much on money. Let's go back. Generous lifestyle. We need to get a generous lifestyle. Chris? I've got friends who, who do wait, waiting and waitressing and all that stuff. They say they hate working on Sundays. Yeah. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. 
So because that's when all the Christians come to lunch. I'm like, and? They won't pay that on tip. They arm wrestle over. We arm wrestle over who's gonna pay because we won. Like my wife just about harassed the lady yesterday. Trying to, or the other day, grabbing the bull, the bull out of the hands. She was trying to, because we want to pay it. We have this thing going on. We fight on who's gonna pay. Who wants to? We won. But you guys are Christians and like, oh, it's that. Where's my wallet? Where's my Oh dear, I left my wallet in the car. It's at home. You get today. No one wants to tip off. I mean, friends, I know you can't afford it, but you better get some generosity back in the church. You know, Jesus, this gospel is a generous gospel. God gave his absolute best. And we always love who's going to pay the bill and should we tip them? Was the service good? How about, who cares? How about, we want to show you the love of God. Not, gee, we are Christians and you don't deserve it. We've got to get some generosity back. This church, I listen to Paul say, we want to be a giving church. This church has not been put here to fill your pockets. You've been put here to sow and fund the nations of the earth from Detroit with all its drama and financial problems. God wants you to resource nations, not the nation of America, of the nations of the world. How, Lord, we're going to take what we've been given and we're going to give it to the king and watch the king multiply because he can trust us. We're not hanging on, holding on, can't trust, don't deserve, don't belong. My money, I earned it. I can't trust them. I've been hurt by the church. Get free. Let the church know the leaders will stand before God, but as will we. So let them stand before God. Let's live in the freedom of us living the way God called us. Growing, number four. Two more points and they're quick ones. They're easy ones. Number four, growing. You know the, the joy of being planted is you grow. Yeah. And we've privileged to lead churches, and I tell you what, the, the joy for me in leading churches, not how many churches we planted out of them and how many regions and nations, it's the restoration and the, the growth. Not of numbers. And we had some huge growth in churches. It's the people becoming more like Jesus. It's the people having breakthrough in their marriage. It's a sick person becoming healed. It's, this, it's, the, it's the one who got saved, who's working through all this stuff and becoming a better follower of Jesus. It's seeing people grow up. That as a father of three sons, honestly, to see my boys maturing is such an incredible thing for me. How much more our father, when we look planted, you are not going to mature if you up and go everywhere all the time. It doesn't matter how mature you are today, there's more growth to become more like Jesus. And the joy of being planted for you and your family. Serve, those of you who have families or husbands, until you settle where God's called you and get planted, your family cannot match you. If you up and man or let him her decide or he decide or just settle. Not write it in blood, not covenant. Just come on in and say, this is my home. And get planted. And when God, if God moves you on, then you move on. But you do it right. But when you're planted, when you sit, you watch the your life, your family's life. It's the joy of being planted. There is power in being planted. And somehow the devil's got it right. And if you just stay disconnected and at a distance, then you're okay. Yeah, you're okay. You're not growing. You've got to be knitted in to where God's put you. And the last point is we're to be going. To be going. Get personally involved in reaching out. Don't attend become missional because God is a missional God. Influencing and impacting those around us. That's the call. To be a bridge 
spanning a chasm between God and them, God and man. That's why we're here. That's border city, to be a, a bridge between God and man. Jesus, I know, is the mediator, but he puts his body here to reflect him, and people can find God because you're here. Them and us, believing and belonging. You know, Jesus did not leave us a theology. Those of you who love theology. He did not leave us a theology. He did not ask of us to study. He left us a mandate, a great commission, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and teaching them to obey, and I am with you all. That's the last words he left his disciples before he left the earth. Yet we've made it all about theology. And I'm not anti-theology. We need to study. But we, God didn't say study me. He said know me. But he didn't say hey, I'm leaving you a study of me. He said I'm leaving you a mission to fulfill and continue until I return. This church is not birth for this. This church is birth for the mission God's called us. Therefore get involved in it. But we can talk about winning the world. But if we haven't got the church thing right, if we're not functioning as a church, what are we saying? My pops used to teach this. My dad has been in ministry all my life. I was born on the mission field. All I know is this stuff. And he used to teach this. It's more important what you get saved into than what you get saved out of. And we talk about get the man who was a hell's angel, ex-drug killer, this killed this guy, get him out here. Tell us about your testimony. Actually, it's great to hear where you've come from, sir. But where are you going, sir? Yes. It's more important what you're in than what you left. Yeah. That's the truth for this church. So my question is, if God is adding, and He is, unsaved people are going to get saved into Border City Church more and more. What are they getting saved into? Attenders, feelers, happy, sad division, don't like, dislike, but we are functioning people. And the plans and the purpose of God, we put aside our issues and our dramas, we put aside our history, we put aside the stuff we don't like, we sit for the king and the kingdom, we want to serve the purpose of God. I am all in. Me and my family, we're in. We're not signing with them, we're signing with the king. And the king, oh, if it's not this church, sorry Paul, go find another. Yeah. But I don't think you're going to find a better church. You're just going to find the church God has for you. Very good. And I believe, if you're here this morning, God brought you here to hear this because you belong here. In your seat. Get behind what God's doing. Not what Paul's doing, what God's doing. Through this couple, through you. And let's be the church. Getting people back to the plan of God. Jesus is the center of it. But we are central too. This is now beyond us. Can we pray? We just bow your heads for a moment. So again, I, I don't know everyone in this room, and I cannot talk about Jesus without at least giving you an opportunity to meet Him. <laughs> I mean, as I said, it all revolves around Him. It's all about Him. You can't be part of His body until you've received Him as your Lord and Head. So is there anyone here who doesn't actually know Jesus? Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you've attended church. I'm not asking any of that. I'm not saying, are you religious? I'm asking, do you know Jesus? Is he the Lord and Savior of your life? And if you do, 